0: Hi and welcome to the Food Navigator podcast, your deep dive into the trends shaping the food and beverage space. I'm Food Navigator journalist Ollie Morrison. In this episode, we're talking gut health. What's the secret to a healthier microbiome and how can food brands utilize the advancing understanding in this area?
1: We're, we're losing the diversity of the food supply and that's going to affect the diversity of our gut microbiome
0: as well. Knowledge about the relationship between the gut, the gut microbiome and overall health is moving at a rapid clip. Healthy gut equals healthy body, right? So what's the best diet for gut health? What kind of products, ingredients and formats might meet the consumer demand? I caught up with Dr. Vincent Pedre, medical director of Pedre Integrative Health in New York and author of the best-selling book happy gut. He explains to me that bad bacteria in the stomach leads to many health conditions such as cancer, obesity, diabetes, heart disease and chronic pain. Evidence is mounting meanwhile suggesting that the western lifestyle with diets featuring high levels of processed food is altering our microbiome putting us more at risk from these diseases and possibly at risk from mental health issues too. He recounts a trip to Africa, to the Hadza tribe of Tanzania, a group of hunter-gatherers with a diet consisting almost entirely of food they find in the forest. Think wild berries, fibre-rich tubers, honey, wild meat. The trend from this group, and from other indigenous peoples studied around the world, is clear. The further away diets are, from a Western one, the greater variety of microbes they tend to have in their guts. Therefore, cardiovascular problems so prevalent in the West are as alien to the Hadza as a cheeseburger and fries with a fizzy drink.
1: So they forage for wild honey, which is obviously very rich in, in minerals and nutrients, and uh, small game animals and sometimes bigger game animals, um, but what was, what's really interesting about them, what the reason I wanted to go is because they've done studies on their microbiome and they've looked at their gut microbiome in comparison to, they used the, an Italian cohort as the control group, as the representative of a Western diet. And what was interesting is that there was greater diversity in the hot sum microbiome than in the Italian cohort. You would think, you know, the the diet that the Hadza have is not this, you know, eat the rainbow type diet that um, we preach in functional medicine. So it's not obviously the eat the rainbow. I mean, they're going out and they're digging a tuber out of the ground and that tuber is kind of like the consistency of jicama in a sense. And I had a chance to go out and go hunting with them, go out into the wild and see how they find these things. But the, the thing about it is that we understand that diversity in the gut microbiome is the key to health. So the more diverse your gut microbiome is, the less likely that disease exists in the body. And there's something about <coughs> that diversity, which does include like 10, maybe 10 to 12 or 15% of quote unquote, bad bugs but they're living in harmony in this ecosystem. You know, I think of the the gut microbiome kind of like the Amazon rainforest. It's going to have some predators. It's going to have a whole bunch of things, but on its own, before man came in and deforested uh, the, the rainforest, it was in this state of balance, right? So And we can think of deforestation in that sense as taking antibiotics and the the overexposure to antibiotics that we've seen in Western society, uh, which the Hatsa by and large have not been exposed to antibiotics. I asked them about that and it would be extremely rare if a member of the tribe was sick. They know that there is the possibility of going to a hospital. So they're not not—they're not so isolated that they're not aware of where civilization has gone, but they still choose to live out in the wild. So <clears throat> the thing about them is they don't have diabetes, they don't have heart disease, they don't get cancer. Their average lifespan is into the 70s about, but they really... If you think about lifespan and health span, like how long are you healthy before you die, you know, before the end of your life, their health span is quite long considering, you know, where the conditions they're living in and all, you know, and there might be there might be some other reasons for this, you know, the exposure to dirt, uh, the exposure to the microbiome in the soil, um, they're not washing their hands. There's no concept of germs and and, you know, uh, sanita- uh, being sanitary, like, uh, there's none of that, and <clears throat> it seems like we really are meant to live in this, this balance with the, the environment and with the gut microbiome and, and the microbes that live both on, in and, you know, inside the body.
0: How, how do we know that their, their health and longevity is related to the, the gut health? and what they're eating
1: specifically? Yeah, um, <clears throat> we, um, we understand that the, there, like studies have shown that there are certain things that are related to um, alterations in the gut microbiome, and as a result, leaky gut. So for example, we see that there's an increase in intestinal permeability that allows for endotoxin, endotoxemia, uh, to come in from the gut. And endotoxin is produced by gram-negative bacteria. They, they used to think that it was something that only got released when they died, but they've actually learned that they actually release endotoxin to the environment. It's also known as lipopolysaccharide. So it's basically a lipid saccharide molecule. But it's a really strong instigator of the inflammatory response in the body. And what they found is that endotoxemia will proceed. Metabolic syndrome, weight gain, and eventually obesity. And it affects the inflammatory cascade in the liver, in the muscle tissue, um, in the fat, and in the brain. We also know that through other studies that the gut microbiome affects uh, blood sugar balance. And it also controls how many calories your body is being exposed to from the food that you eat. So, you know, we're making, we're making inferences here based on that, but it's really interesting to, you know, just to see the the correlates and then ask the question because before no one had really ever looked at that, like what, if the gut microbiome is affected, what happens to, to health? And I think now we're, we're like really starting to pay attention to that. I think we're realizing that this is a system-wide problem, not just humans. This is like the entire planet uh, affected by pesticides, by antibiotics, all the things that are are threatening the, uh, the gut microbiome. I mean, they believe that every time you're exposed to an antibiotic that your gut can never fully recover to its previous state. <clears throat> and obviously, you know, as I say that as a doctor, I'm, I it might sound like I'm anti antibiotics, but you know antibiotics save lives. That's clear. I just think we're overusing them. Yeah. I think there's there's been way the the scale has tipped too far in the direction of of just blindly prescribing antibiotics for any cold that a person has, and so many things can <clears throat> just be treated the, with yeah, on, with on um, the- immune support.
0: On the on the, on the theme of of prescribing perhaps too many drugs, uh, what can you tell me about the relationship between uh, your gut health, so your your healthy m- microbiome, and, and mental health? Do we, what, do we what, what's the science telling us telling us there?
1: So many connections there. Um, we know for one that the the gut microbiome. Uh, Like lactobacilli produce GABA, GABA aminobutyric acid, which is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. Uh, But we also know that the I wrote about this actually in both May and June of this year in my blog because we focused on uh, May was mental health month and then June was brain health month. And so we talked a lot about the, the interconnections between the gut and the brain and sort of like The the intermediary between the two is the vagus nerve. I called it the vagus nerve, kind of like the telephone wire between the brain and the gut. And part of what's triggering, so there's the vagus nerve is one of the longest nerves in the body Mm -hmm. and innervates pretty much all of the organs and especially the gut and controls all sorts of things uh, such as gut permeability, enzyme secretion in the gut, so it's really fascinating because there's there's like a lot of overlapping ways that things happen in the gut. But <clears throat> the vagus nerve has about, let's say 30 to 40% of the fibers aiming down and the majority of the fibers aiming up to the brain from the gut and from the distal organs. So <clears throat> those fibers have 5-HT receptors, which are serotonin receptors. So when the the gut bacteria secrete serotonin, it stimulates the nerve endings, the efferent ner- afferent nerve endings of the vagus nerve, send a signal to the brain, and some of those signals—it's it's, complicated—but some of those signals actually release uh, GABA, so then it calms things down in the brain. So.
0: That, so that's so then we, th- yeah, because the- yeah. So
1: we think of like there was a study. Um, I I found this a long time ago. I don't know where the study is, but I think it was actually done in England, where women were were asked to fill out an anxiety questionnaire, and then um, they were, I think they were put into two groups. One group was given kefir, so a yeah. fermented cultured dairy beverage, and they drank kefir daily and after two weeks filled out the questionnaire again, and there was a difference between the Kiefer group versus the non-Kiefer groups. The Kiefer group actually saw a drop in their anxiety score. So, you know, that that, that just kind of pushes us in the direction of, of asking the question, you know, what's going on there? You know, what is the, the connection between gut and brain? And we know that, um, In functional medicine, we we talk about a depressed brain as being a brain on fire, an inflamed brain, and the brain gets inflamed when the gut is inflamed. So if your gut barrier is leaky, then your blood-brain barrier will inevitably become leaky, and that blood-brain barrier protects the brain from inflammation and inflammatory substances.
0: Are there any conclusions that can yet be drawn into the can that kind of cause and effect relationship between the the mental health brain health and and your gut is it if if I'm depressed will I have a will that give me a bad gut or is it the bad gut making me depressed or is that too oh. simplistic
1: it's a it's one of those it's one of those chicken or the egg questions like which one which one comes first <clears throat> you know does uh, I think it can go, I it can go in either direction from what I have seen with patients, you know, someone who's uh, suffering from a lot of gut issues will definitely develop some mental health issues, um, but there could be a person who's depressed and, you know, eating a lot of sugar, comfort foods, and they're going to, by doing that, they're going to generate an overgrowth of yeast and, and bad bugs in the gut. That are then going to produce all sorts of, um, you know, mycotoxins, inflammatory signals, break down the gut barrier, and then that just kind of keeps you in that state. So I've seen, I've seen many, many times, just by by changing the diet, what what we can do for so many things. You know, brain health. Uh, just by just by creating some tweaks in the diet, even just removing sugar. The other the other thing that I that I think you know, there's a lot of factors. And when we think of the blue zones of the world, uh, one of the factors is you know close knit community, and the other factor is multi generational households. And if you think of the the Hadza, multiple generations are living together in this tribe unit. Um, because it's, even though there's about a thousand of them, they all live in these different units and they travel around together. I heard a lecture from a researcher at, I think it was McGill University in Canada, who's studying the the aging of the gut microbiome over time. And one thing they find is that there is, there is an aging to the microbiome and the microbiome of someone in their seventies, eighties, will look different from the microbiome of the child, for example. Um, And as the microbiome ages, then there's a drift in the direction of of gut bugs that tend to trigger more inflammation. One thing that the the researcher uh, brought up was that maybe there is a sharing of the microbiome that happens when you live together. And in these multi-generational households in the blue zones, the older people are living with the younger, then there's this ability to kind of cross-pollinate the microbiome, getting exposed to each other's microbiomes just by living under the, in, under the same roof. Yeah. Um, so that could be a factor as well. I've heard some really, uh, I'm going to call it wacky because you almost think like, how is this possible? Um, when I was at the microbiome Congress a couple of years ago, Uh, there was a researcher that done studies on the effects of putting one person in a household on antibiotics and what it did to the microbiome of another house member. So say like a spouse, and they found that if you put one on an antibiotic, that it actually affected the diversity of the other person. So then they thought, okay, well, these are spouses, they're kissing, you know, they're kind of like (laughs) intimately sharing microbiome. What if we just do it with roommates and it had very similar effect? Now go figure out how that is happening. Uh, I don't know if that's like quantum physics at this point.
0: Scientists have also just made another potentially huge discovery. Researchers at the Stanford School of Medicine in the US found that fermented foods like yogurt kimchi and sauerkraut, were more effective, at least in the short term, in eliminating unhealthy bacteria in the gut compared to high-fibre foods rich in legumes, seeds, whole grains, nuts, vegetables and fruits. It's a radical finding, as it flies in the face of previous evidence suggesting a high-fibre diet is the key to a healthy gut. This study, though, suggests fermented foods not the high-fibre ones, are the foundation of a gut-friendly diet. Is it onto something?
1: You know, the question with that study is, so we, we learned that fermented foods increased uh, the diversity of the gut microbiome and also reduced inflammation. Over a 10-week period, the, in the fiber group, it didn't do that as much, even though it did modulate immune response depending on what the baseline diversity of the person was. Um, and one thing that maybe to think about in that study is, was this study long enough to see an effect from the fiber-rich group? You know, maybe they, maybe they needed to have um, studied them for three months to see what are the effects of, because we do know that fiber is really key and important. And one of the distinguishing factors of the Hadza is that they average about 40 to 50 grams of fiber per day. Whereas in the West, um, I can say at least for United States, I don't know about England, uh, we get get about 10 10 to 15 grams of fiber per day. So it's a, it's a very fiber devoid diet you know there's just not enough fiber
0: let's talk a bit more about the food industry so, so from your from your perspective as a, as a as a doctor in this area what what do you what do you have a a message for the the food industry on this do you want them um, what do you kind of want them to do or, or, or not to do in this area
1: oh. oh wow i think first of all like we have to focus on whole foods I think that's that's key and most important is is focusing on whole foods and and I think um, I know this is not food industry but I think uh, there was a trend during this pandemic and quarantine when people started growing their own vegetables and you know I think I think we need to think about like this is God this is such a big question I'm sorry I'm like struggling with it for a moment. <laughs> But it's like we need to th- we need to think about like carbon footprint. Like, what can what can we be what can be sourced locally? Um, delivering fresh food. Uh, I mean, I'm all for uh, supporting organic farmers and and local farmers markets and things like that. I think really, um, in terms of the. Just think about like when, when I was growing up, when we were growing up, like what was known as a fermented food was sauerkraut, okay. which to me as a kid was just not palatable, <laughs> you know? Okay. It was like maybe one th- something I had very once in a while on a hot dog, but now look at the innovation in the food industry, like the making all these different sauerkrauts, like curry sauerkraut, uh dill, fennel, like really coming in and taking something that uh, really wasn't elevated and elevating it to make it accessible to a wide range of palates and I think I think we haven't scratched the surface yet on on fermented foods and the types of um, fermented vegetables that could be offered um, and I think that's a I think that's gonna have to be looked at really carefully now that seeing, seeing what this study showed and knowing that the, the holy grail is diversity and everyone is probably suffering from some element of loss of diversity because I'll challenge you to find me a person that has never been on an antibiotic. That's going to be the minority of people, right? Everybody's been on an antibiotic at some point, some people on multiple antibiotics, um, so everybody's microbiome. I can tell you from my clinical experience as a doctor, the more antibiotics someone was on, the more susceptible they were to infections, the more likely they were going to come in with a repeat of the same infection until you work on rebuilding the gut microbiome.
0: Tell me again, the the, the best way to get this diversity in your, in your microbiome, because you you talked about... I asked you what you want the food industry to do. And you mentioned kind of whole food. Yeah. I was kind of thinking, I was kind of thinking you're going to say, um, you know, the
1: fermented stuff, the fermented cottage cheese, kombucha. Just, just what I I mean. Thank you for bringing that up because I think, um, I think the other place where we, we need more options is even kombuchas. Like the, the commercial kombuchas are too high in sugar. Uh, They're just way too sweet. And that, is then defeating the purpose of what kombucha is for. So, you know, I think I think that's where like we see maybe smaller operations coming into play that uh, can compete in local markets that produce a more natural kombucha. I think I think what we're gonna see is like it's funny because we're kind of like uh, we go in cycles, right? It's like we're going back in time and rediscovering the importance of fermentation, um, not just as a way to flavor food and make it interesting, but that it's actually needed for our our health. Um, So yeah, I mean, I think that's an important part. I think also increasing fiber intake in all different forms, uh, introducing, there's so many different uh, grains that could be used. You know, weed has been such a predominant one, but there's, there are so many other ones that, uh, have even digestive benefits. I was just researching this for my next book. Um, uh, one example is, uh, mesquite flour. It has a lot of digestive benefits. I didn't realize this and it's gluten-free. Um, and it can be used for things like mixed with other flours to make pizza dough um, you know, so maybe I think time to even think about how do we diversify Greens. our our food in different ways, and and maybe uh, get away from everything having to be uh, made from wheat, wow. which has been really easy. But I think um, because of the work I do in gut health, I've seen a lot of people affected by the amount of gluten in wheat right now. I know in Europe, not as much as in the U.S.
0: And you mentioned we've only just scratched the surface in terms of fermentation. What 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 do you think we could be, where could we, what areas could we be incorpor- using fermentation where we aren't at the moment then?
1: Oh, even like um, fermented vegetables, you know, like root vegetables, carrots. Uh, we see a little bit of that, but I don't think we see enough. Like um, beets, carrots, like other uh, turnips, like interesting vegetables that can be fermented uh, that could be easily um, sold in the market. Aside from, you know, cabbage uh, making sauerkraut, uh, I'm also seeing companies that are creating uh, sauerkraut juice and they create them in little shots. Yeah,
0: yeah. And there's
1: a whole bunch of. Um, there's a whole bunch of different uh, ways, that, like companies that are combining that with like a turmeric, ginger, kraut juice shot, for example.
0: Yeah. yeah, I can see. I can see where that's um, a good idea. And what, what, what about yourself? Can I ask you a personal question? What in, in your yeah, as, you know, as you as you've discovered more about you know the, the gut, the gut health, and and general health, what what kind of changes have you made in your own diet? If oh wow.
1: Um, Yeah, I mean a lot. Uh, It's been a a journey since my thirties, but really primarily eating organic vegetables when possible, Um, incorporating more fermented foods, Um, making sure to to source, if I'm eating meats like pasture raised, grass fed, no hormones, no antibiotics, Uh, getting wild meats too, like bison, uh, elk, those types of things. I haven't gotten too big into um, organ meats, but I did find, actually, I really like this because I have kind of like a, for me, a little bit of a... I don't know, mental blocks since I wasn't raised on eating hearts and <laughs> liver and stuff like that. Um, but I found a really nice grass-fed uh, ground beef with heart and liver all combined together. And that actually like kind of hid away the the flavoring of the organ meat. Um, and that was actually quite nice. Uh, yeah. But organ meats are so rich in, in uh, essential yeah. Yeah. minerals and Nutrients. Uh,
0: is there is there a specific link between organ meats and gut health
1: and the microbiome? That is a that is a good question. Um, there is in general a link between uh, the amount of meat you eat and the makeup of the gut microbiome, and especially red meat, uh, because it can influence the red meat is high in L carnitine, which is an amino acid that then gets. Uh, metabolized by certain bugs in the gut microbiome to TMA and trimethylamine. Okay. And trimethylamine will be a, get absorbed into the circulation, go to the liver where it gets um, modified again by an enzyme called flavin monooxygenase. And that conversion converts it to TMAO. TMAO then um, in the circulation causes – things like your platelets to get sticky and it increases the risk for heart attack and stroke by double, irregardless of other risk factors. So you could have no other risk factors and that, that would increase your, your risk of, of heart disease or stroke. And the thing is that we know that if you have a vegan diet, your TMAO levels drop dramatically. If you had a really high meat diet, that TMAO level can go up. And, and there are some, you know, why this might not be 100% for everyone is because there are genetic polymorphisms in how that enzyme in the liver works. So some people it's gonna work really well and do a lot of conversion of TMA to TMAO. And in some people it's just not gonna work as much. But, but what we found is that if, um, they have shown in studies, that if a person is a meat eater and then you start incorporating more vegetables and reduce the meat amount, then that's gonna affect the production of TMA and lower TMAO levels. So that really suggests that if you are a meat eater, that you really need to balance it with the right amount of vegetables, okay. You know, which kind of goes against the carnivore diet, which is all about just eating meat and how anti-inflammatory that is. I don't believe that that's sustainable, um, just eating organ meats and meat just by itself. We know that that's going to alter the gut microbiome and that a, the microbiome in someone who's eating too much meat and not enough plants is going to be more inflammatory in nature. So you do want to make sure that you're getting a good amount of, of plant uh, foods and and you ask me, what is my diet like? and my diet is kind of like I would consider plant-based, not not dogmatic in the sense like I do eat, I'm not paleo per se because I still will eat rice, which in my opinion is is good for the gut. It depends on the person again. Um, and I love eating all different types of rices like the green pearl, black rice, uh, wild rice, brown, jasmine. Um, I mix it up.
0: You told me how, how quickly this area is moving and we're discovering kind of new things every day. What's the what's the one kind of area where you, you think will really open up to, to, to discovery?
1: I think I think the area that um, we're probably just uh, just tapping into is um i and I'm seeing a lot of this is like the combining of different food ingredients together, you know, like, like I was mentioning the ginger, turmeric, kraut juice combination, like, innovative combinations like that. Um, I think also what we would call functional foods, so foods that are designed to have a healing purpose for the body. So, you know, even like, you know, putting together food nutrients that we know are, are going to have some sort of healing effect. So it could be like, um, the types of flowers that are used, the uh, food ingredients. I think the other thing is, you know, as world population gets bigger is like looking for other protein sources, like, um, like grasshopper, like, um, like a protein, like a renewable protein source that has a lower environmental impact. Um, and I think we'll see things like, uh, grasshopper protein powder. And I mean, I don't know how those things will take off, but it's kind of interesting to think about.
0: And, and again, all, all this stuff good for the, good for the gut.
1: All this. Yeah. Stuff. I mean, especially, especially when you're looking at things that are hypoallergenic, um, and fermented. And again, um, even just, uh, God, I think I I hate to. I mean, you can probably gather that I'm 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 not in favor of, of factory, you know, like factory farms. I'm more in favor of the small local farmer, mm-hmm. um, heritage seeds, like heirloom seeds, and maintaining the integrity of that because we're we're slowly losing. One thing that I didn't mention is you know. Uh, we're, we're losing the diversity of the food supply. And that's gonna affect the diversity of our gut microbiome as well. We know that what's happening to the environment is happening to our gut. Mm. So if we think, if we wanna be naive and think that we can do whatever to the environment, we're not gonna affect ourselves and our microbiome and our health, um, that's just fallacy. Think about all the different types of potatoes out there, like uh, the purple potato that's lower in it's, uh, it's high in resistant starch, so it's good for the gut microbiome. The cassava also, which is really good for the gut microbiome. Anything that's high in, in, uh, in fibres, root vegetables, uh, that's something else that we could definitely you know, actually- go, away, go away from the white potato and introduce all these other different varietals.
0: So to conclude, a greater variety of food and beverage products designed to offer consumers a more diverse microbiome offers a tantalizing opportunity to improve our physical health, our mental health, and the health of the planet. Listen to your gut, everyone. Thanks for listening. Join us next time.